Thank you. I was going to pray for those things, but he's already done it. <laughs> I turned up this morning and Jack picked on me because of my preaching glasses. <laughs> Nothing to do with being middle-aged now. I just want to be able to read my own writing. <laughs> you know, um, what we're doing today is actually not intentional for Mother's Day. We have these, this series planned uh, for a couple of weeks and months now and we kind of forgot about Mother's Day and then it kind of arrived. Um, but God knows these things, but just be assured, um, if you were here today because, you know, you said to Mum, what do you want for Mother's Day? And she just said, I just really want you to come to church with me. Um, and you're here and you know you're going to get a free lunch afterwards. You know what? We can't tell whether you're here for the free lunch with your mum afterwards or if you're here because you really want to, um, you know, explore what God's saying. So just relax. Um, and we honour the pursuit of free food, don't we? <laughs> it's a worthy goal. Um, so my name's Kate, if I haven't met you yet, um, and my day job is a very interesting day job. I'm part of the team at uh, Inside Out for Kids at Launceston City Mission. So um, throughout the week, I actually go and visit with little people in our community who have lost someone, um, or who have a big life change, um, and we get to do lots of cool stuff to, to help them express that um, and understand how they're feeling. Uh, but I just want to say this, no one gets to be an expert on this stuff. Um, I want to talk today about the process of grief and how God sees that. Um, but everyone's story is so different and everyone's grief response is so different and so individual um, that there is as many different ways to grieve as there are people in the world. Um, so the, the moment that I think or we think we know how someone feels, we've actually stopped listening. Um, so I'm a test case today, not as an expert, but as in someone who um, has a daily experience of what not to say. <laughs> Uh, I could just make a book of the awkward moments in my life of saying the things that maybe shouldn't need to be said, you know, where the internal voice is just saying, just stop talking, but the words just keep falling out. Um, so here's the important thing about walking with those who are grieving. Um, it's love that counts, not perfection. Um, and I have actually had um, a very solid, stable life, uh, my blessing, I understand that. Uh, but my experiences of grief came much later in my life. Um, and so for a long time I felt very unsure and very unworthy how to communicate and how to walk with my friends who'd had grief experiences earlier in life. And it was like a little bit paralysing, the fear of not knowing what to say or the awkwardness of saying something that's going to make everything worse. Um, it can be a little bit like you feel immobilised to help. Um, but people can forgive our attempts to be there with them in grief um, if they sense this authentic love. Love says that we're going to do our best today to understand some of that process because we want to be equipped to be better friends um, and we want to be a safe community that God intends us to be where his heart of love is communicated and especially um, when times of tragedy and hard things come. It's one of the promises that he gave us in his word. We don't quote it very often because it's not very popular, which is in this life you will have trouble. Yeah. And those of you um, who have lived longer than others will know that to be true. The longer you live, the more experiences of loss you accumulate, mostly because the more people that you know and the more relationships you have. All right, so... 
My thought here is that we build a bridge of relationship and love that can withstand the wounds that we might inflict on each other when we're a little sensitive. Yeah? So I'm just going to start with what is grief. And I tell the kids that I work with, um, you know, do you know this word? Because uh, mostly the word grief comes out when we're thinking about sadness or we're thinking about death. But actually grief is the word that we use for the whole range of emotions that come when we lose something special or precious to us or there is an attachment um, that is broken, an attachment relationship goes. It's not just sadness, although it is. There's also disbelief, denial, confusion, anger, uh, bargaining, questioning, all of those things come into it. And we don't just grieve when somebody dies. We can grieve anything that we've lost. So it can actually be seasons, previous seasons of better health, previous seasons of youth, perhaps. Um, the loss of employment, uh, the loss of a purpose that we loved, a role that we had in life that we don't have anymore. Um, we can grieve our pets because, man, those furry little things get under your skin, don't they? Yeah, just love them. Uh, we can grieve the loss of a relationship through relocation when someone moves further away and you lose access to them. It's not the same. You can grieve a relationship that has been lost through rejection. You're making moves to connect and the person is not responding. We can grieve uh, a future hope or a prophetic season that we were expecting to have something we were expecting to happen and we had it set in our mind that it was going to play out like this and it was going to be great and then it doesn't come off. And that's a season of losing that, losing that hope and that expectation. We can grieve our security and our safety, you know, our normal, I say with the kids sometimes, especially the little ones who are going through family separation or divorce. Hey, nobody's died but they're grieving their normal. Things aren't the same as they used to be. It doesn't look the same. And that's what's gone. The normal is gone. So I moved from Sydney back to Tasmania. I'm Tasmanian-born, but I moved back about four years ago. And I had this season where I started to do strange things, like drive through red lights. Now, I'm not a very good driver at the best of times, but even that is a bit of a stretch for me. I was just, And it was happening a little bit more often than it should. Um, sorry, law enforcement officers, but I did, go through red lights. I couldn't handle noise. I would start to put my hands physically over my ears. If too many people were talking or there was too much music, it was really weird. And I would stop sentences halfway through and not know what I was saying. I mean, that happens often anyway, because I say many sentences. <laughs> uh, so I took myself to the doctor. I'm like, maybe I'm low in iron. Like, there's got to be something biologically wrong with me. So I start explaining all my symptoms and he's like, so tell me a little bit about, you know, how your year's been. And then I feel the tears start to prickle up. I'm like, oh, well, I've just moved. Um, and he used to see this look of recognition on his face. Okay. He said, you know what? That's a really hard thing. Um, that's an adjustment. That's a big adjustment. He said, you know what? I think you're just experiencing the stress of grief. I was like, hmm, because actually, most of my life, I haven't been very good at feelings. Um, mostly, I've tried not to have them, because uh, <laughs> they're messy, a little bit unpredictable. You could do really strange things in front of people that you don't know. Um, so I was like, oh, I'm having feelings. That's what's causing all of these things. 
the forgetfulness and the noise sensitivity, all these things. Okay, so we can actually grieve a lot of different things. Um, and this is what I love. This is the good news. 1 John 4.16. We have known and believed that the love that God has for us, God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. And 1 John 4.19, we love him because he first loved us. This is the good news. We only grieve because we've loved. We only grieve as, as much as we do because we are able to hope for some really good things. So if we're able to love and if we're able to hope, it's because God is love and God is good. It's because of his character that being made in his image, we are able to love as much as we do. And that is why it hurts so much when we lose something. It's because we've loved it. And that is a reflection of the character of God. Isn't that a beautiful thought? Okay, hold that thought. <laughs> I realise, um, you know, on a day that's kind of a family day, I'm, I'm not here today sharing because I know there are people here who would have lost people, maybe recently. It might be your year of firsts, you know what the year of firsts is like. Um, but, and, and, and our heart is with you today, but the purpose really of today is to equip us, okay? Not just for the things that have happened already, uh, that we're walking through, but actually we want to be followers of Jesus who respond really well to those who are hurting from this moment on. We want to represent him well because it is those seasons of big adjustments and, um, you know, when those unexpected things happen where people can be really open to spiritual things more than they have before, um, but there's also incredible vulnerability in times of loss. Um, so we want to be good stewards of the love of God and the character of God. So the most important thing is not what I say about grief anyway. It's what the, it's what the Bible says. Now, follow with me on this. This is a bit of a long bow to draw. But Colossians 1.15 says, He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And John 5.19 says, And Jesus answered them and said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. So we need to set this foundation that Jesus is the exact representation and revelation of God. That's what image means there. It means a revelation of God, the representation of God. So if we look at how Jesus handled grief when he walked on this earth, we're going to see what God's heart is. We're going to understand what his purpose is. Now, Jesus had 30-odd years of life, which is plenty of time to face some tough things. Now, obviously, he faced rejection <laughs> from some of his friends. He faced rejection from the people he came to save. He faced rejection from the people who had the Old Testament scriptures and were supposed to understand. Um, some of his own family rejected him. His own hometown rejected him incredibly. He also lost, lost his cousin to beheading, etc., etc. But there's this story that I love, one of his losses that I want to look at. So we're going to read like a long story, but... One of the beautiful things about stories is that stories are actually the language of the heart. 
Jesus used stories all the time because when we hear a story, while we're hearing it, we're actually overlaying our own story over the top. And it unlocks things in our hearts in ways that other things can't. It's a very, very amazing creative thing that God made. So that's why I'm going to read this long story. It goes like this, John 11. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Remember that? Great love, great loss. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, for the glory of, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. Isn't that interesting? He loved them. So when he heard he was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Hold that thought. I'm just going to skip a little bit because they have a big conversation about how going back to Jerusalem is where all the people who want to kill them are and how that might not be a good idea. So we'll just skip that bit. So when Jesus did come, he found that he had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God who has come into the world. And when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, the teacher has come and he's calling for you. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were there with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose and quickly went out, followed her, saying she's going to the tomb to weep there. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. He said, Where have you laid him? They said, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? We're not going to judge them for saying that, because questioning and anger is very much a part of the process. I would have asked the same question. Then Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the practical sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there's a stench for he's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe you would see the glory of God? They took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me, and I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died come, came out, bound hand and foot with 
grave clothes, his face was wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. In the context of what we're talking about today, what did you notice? Jesus wept. Jesus groaned. Um, The word that they use there for groaned in himself is that combination of anger and deep heart pain. You know, we wonder why we use the word broken heart, because it it actually aches. So he felt sad. He felt angry. And what we can gather from that is that, okay, emotions, they're okay with God. And this is what else we know about emotions. They're not moral choices. They're not good or bad. And sometimes we've been brought up to believe that happy people are good people and angry, sad people are bad people. Um, But it cannot be because emotions in themselves are just a response to events happening around us. This is like being hot, cold, tired, hungry. And interestingly, all of those four things also make me angry. (laughs) 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 It is my body responding to the external stimuli. And the way that we know what emotion we're experiencing is because of what it does to our body, all right? So when we're sad, our eyes get hot and prickly, tears, watery. We get hot, we get sore neck, we get sore shoulders. All of these things happen. When we're angry, the eyebrows go down. (laughs) Especially if you're bald, angry eyebrows are very obvious. (laughs) And your hands go like this and your shoulders go up and you get hot. And your heart starts to beat. So we know how we feel because of what it does to us. It gives us clues and then we go, okay, these things are happening to me. I feel however we feel. We get clues. Now, what we know about emotions is that they're not a new thing. They're not a response to modern society. Emotions are as old as we are. So what we have to d- deduct from that is that they are a gift from God. He doesn't make junk. If they're as old as us, he intended us to have them. And actually, they come from the middle, deepest place from within your brain. So we have to trust in his design and his good intentions for us. Okay? But any time we get a gift, it can be de-emphasised or overemphasized. So sometimes we de-emphasize the importance of emotions. We say, okay, and you know these sentences, right? Oh, I just made an emotional decision. <laughs> oh, don't just don't listen to me. I'm just really emotional right now. <laughs> um, and maybe Robin, Robin and I were talking about this the other day. You might have even been brought up um, in that Christian environment, um, and they used to show you the three little train carriages. Um, where fact should come first, cold hard facts, followed by faith, because if you believe the facts, then you'll have faith. And then if you have faith, your feelings will follow. You'll feel like God is true if you believe the facts about God. But emotions can also be overemphasised, okay? God is only with me if I can sense him and feel him. The intentions of emotions is not that they are either extreme Um, And I thought of this during the week, and I'm really impressed with myself, and I really hope that one day someone makes a little internet meme, you know, where they quote you and then put your name at the bottom. That's my aim in life. (laughs) It's not kingdom thinking, it's just my sin. (laughs) 
Um, but I thought of this. The intentions of emotions is not that they are our commander-in-chief, but they make a really good intelligence officer. The intention of emotions is not that they are our commander-in-chief, but they make a really good intelligence officer. Their intent is not to be the only thing that informs our life, but gosh, they can be helpful with telling us what's going on in here. So their intent is to enrich and inform. So the memories that we have with emotional content are stored more easily in our brain. So life's best moments, you know, when you're on the tropical beach and the sun is warm and you're in the hammock and the children are playing nicely in the sand and the sun's going down and the beauty of creation and everyone's happy. It's like that moment goes deep into your brain because it's enriched by the joy that you feel, right? Wedding days, births of children, <laughs> all of those great moments in life sink deep into our memories in great detail, although sometimes your wedding day is a bit of a blur. Actually, sometimes so is giving birth, if we're, if we're honest. <laughs> it's a bit surreal. Asked him what really happened, I don't know. <laughs> but life is better when we feel it. Okay? It's an enrichment of the things that we experience. We weren't meant to be robots. We were meant to have life with colour. Um, so that's one reason we have them. But we also have them to inform Okay, it's a safety protection measure. Okay, my heart's starting to beat, my skin's going prickly. Maybe jumping off this giant boulder into the ocean like the rest of my teenage friends is not a good idea. <laughs> okay, it's for our survival and our safety, um, but it also draws attention to a, a problem. So in this season of life, when we moved from Sydney and I took myself to the doctor for my terrible driving and various other symptoms, um, I was also part of a book club. We read this book, it was a novel, uh, about um, an NGO, which is a non-government organisation, who sent a lady to Afghanistan to do literacy with the Afghani women. Um, but because of terrorist activity, she had to pack up and come home. Not her decision was like policy. And explains this scene, like the last chapter of the book is her on the aeroplane going home and being met at the airport and having people say to you, say to her, you must be so glad to be home. Um, but she had actually lived in Afghanistan for seven to ten years, I think, and had made a home there. So <laughs> I get to my term where I get to explain about what I thought about the book and all I can, like, I can't speak. Like, I'm trying to get the words out and there's tears and I just, like, it, I didn't expect it. I didn't take notes. I didn't intend to say these things. It's like my emotions actually leaked out over and above my brain. And I can't, what I can't quite get out is um, people don't understand it was her home. And, and people said the same to me, or I felt like they did. Tasmanian-born, we actually were in Sydney in a church plant for 10 years, and we loved it deeply. We loved the people. We loved what we were doing. We didn't come home um, because we'd had enough and had gone badly. Um, we came home because God said... Um, so people say, oh, you must be so glad to be home and near your families. Yes, I am. But there was also a grieving that I wasn't acknowledging that was leaking out in strange times. Um, and I remember getting up the next morning and just saying, that was so weird. It's like I, I couldn't actually figure out what had happened to me. I'd had emotions in front of people without planning to. 
Um, and it was that moment where I'm like, okay, there's something here that I need to acknowledge, that I need to work through and I need to feel on purpose, something intentional. All right, so there we are that point that emotions are okay with Jesus because he had them and Jesus is the exact representation of God so it is a good thing for us to have emotions they have a purpose but we do have to read the whole Bible we can't just read John 11 and look at what happened to Jesus we have to read the whole thing and there's this verse in Ephesians 4 26 isn't there that says be angry but do not sin do not let the sun go down on your wrath or give place to the devil. So emotions are not sin, but they are one of the biggest drivers of our behaviour and our choices. So whether we are aware of our emotions or not, they are one of the things that underpin why we do what we do. And we can either express our emotions in a way that does great damage to the people that we love and the relationships that we have, um, or we can repress them in a way Uh, that creates a lot of unspoken tension, um, mistrust or refuse to engage in meaningful relationships. So we can do damage by not expressing them or expressing them in a way um, that can lead to sin. But having emotions themselves is not sin. So what would redeemed emotions look like. You know, redeemed means bringing back to its original position. So if God intends us to have these emotions, what would they look like if they were working the way God intended? It's that we do express them, but we express them in a healthy way, in an honest way, in a safe place, with safe people. And then we let the Spirit of God do its work. The thing about emotions is they're not permanent. They're organic, they're rolling. They roll in, they roll out. If they roll in and we express them, they keep rolling. If we don't and we squash a lid on it, they stay with us until they have a chance to be expressed. But what I see in the story of Lazarus is that Jesus lets the emotion roll in, feels it, expresses it, but there's something more. We have something more. We don't just have the only tool in our toolkit is to express our emotions, get on with life. We have something more. Um, And actually this was written to the early church in 1 Thessalonians 4. It was written to the church because they were concerned (laughs) that people who had believed in Jesus but had died before he came back, they were very sure that Jesus was coming back any second and they were concerned about the people who didn't get to meet him in the second coming, who had died already. So he had to write to them about it. And he said, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who've fallen asleep. Code for died. We're very good at coming up with code words for died, aren't we? Passed on. No longer with us. Promoted to glory. And they do communicate something true and something lovely, but it's also okay to say the word. Concerning those who've fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For we say this to you by the word of the Lord 
that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with those words. We do have sorrow. We do grieve, but redeemed grief is so different. It's not like those who have no hope. It's that but for Jesus moment. You know, he knew what he was going to do when he went to Lazarus. He knew. He stayed where he was two more days on purpose. He told the disciples. He explained what he was going to do. He still grieved, even though he had this spiritual reality of the power of what he was about to do. It's but for Jesus. There's an extra level of who we are and how we respond to things that's a spiritual reality. It's the hope that we have. And it's alive and well. And it makes more difference than we realise because we live with it. We live with this hope all the time. And it feels so normal for us to, to know this heaven and to know this always with the Lord. Once we accept Jesus, we're never out of his presence ever again. And that's our reality and our normal. But if you've ever been to um, funerals of unbelievers in a very short space of time, at the same time as a funeral of a believer, you'll notice it. You feel the difference. So we're expressing the reality of our losses and the honesty of our losses, but just as true is the hope in the life of God. Our spiritual reality, that level, is actually more true and more permanent than our emotions. Okay, they roll in and they roll out. But the truth of the life of God never changes. We are always with him. His presence will never be gone. And while Jesus wept, he was still grounded in the spiritual reality of the power of the resurrection. Okay? And not just in the moment for Lazarus physically, he was talking to Martha about her reality. See, often, um, you know, we're expressing our emotions to, to get over things or to move through things. Um, sorry, lost my train of thought. Yeah, I'll move on. <laughs> I'm sure it was profound. <laughs> you probably want to make a meme about it one day. <laughs> Another day. <laughs> or you could just put those three little dots after it and then my name down the bottom. <laughs> but our spiritual life is something no earthly loss can take away. It comes from Jesus alone. I am the resurrection and the life. So he was the resurrection and the life, not just for Lazarus. He knew what he was going to do, but he was speaking to Martha. I'm the resurrection and the life right now. No matter what loss you're experiencing, your actual spirit can be more alive than ever. And I call that whole phase of my life, <laughs> where it was kind of messy and very unpredictable, very un-Kate-like, um, I call that phase of my life the precious mess. It was messy, but wow, did I just feel alive in my very core with the presence of God because I needed him. I needed to know him. I needed to sense what he was doing, and I was open to that. And this is what I want to finish with. Romans 8.11, And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because his spirit who lives in you. 
So no matter what we're going through, if we've accepted Jesus, we carry his presence, his resurrection power and his life. The spiritual reality of that transcends the physical stuff. But we grieve. We do. And we should. But we grieve like those who have hope. It's different. And this Hebrews 6.19 says, This hope we have as an anchor for the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become the high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Um, The Bible uses the word soul to mean emotions, mind um, and will. So even though we have the emotions, the hope we have is actually an anchor for that. Our spirit, the reality of the spirit of Jesus, informs our emotions as well. So we're reacting to the world and our circumstance from the outside, but we also have the spirit of God informing our emotions from the inside. That's why it's different. Because there's more than what we see here. We carry the presence of Jesus forevermore. And this life is incredibly short, but it feels really intense. We're in the middle of it. And I know that thing they say, (laughs) as you get older, it feels shorter. (laughs) And when you're a teenager, you're like, oh, come on. Christmas takes forever to come. Like, I have to wait such a long time for my Christmas money. Um, But now that I'm middle-aged, it's true. (laughs) I just want to finish with some practical stuff because we want to do well at this. Um, And for those who are grieving in our midst right now, who already know Jesus, we just are aiming for space, uh, love, grace and understanding for you. We understand you might be tired, physically tired, takes a lot of energy to grieve. You might be forgetful, takes a lot of brain space to grieve. You might be having headaches, stomach aches. You might not feel like eating the 50 lasagnas we drop off at your door. You might not answer the phone. And you might want to cancel appointments for no reason. But as a group of Jesus followers, we can say, be free to do all those things. Jesus was free to grieve, so are you. We get it. And when we don't get it, we really hope that we can all love each other enough (laughs) to forgive and and let it go and understand the heart was love, even when we get it wrong. You know, I was reading just yesterday uh, that on average people need to tell their story 150 times on the road to healing. That's a lot. But luckily there's a lot of us here. So if you need to tell your story 150 times to understand what has happened and to integrate it into your story, you're free to do that. And we're all going to agree not to worry about you unnecessarily (laughs) because people can sometimes put pressure on you to move on or to get over it. Or isn't it time now? They can put a time frame on it. Um, And it doesn't have one because grief changes us from the inside. You won't be the same person as before. I talk to the kids about this all the time. Sometimes they have a normal life, they experience loss, and people think they're going to go back to normal. But you don't go back to normal. You grow, you grow. You grow around it, 
You move forward, you have a future, but that chapter of your life is still that chapter of your life and nothing can erase something that you've been through. It affects who you are, but it's also not the end of the story because of the hope that we have. So we're not going to say things like that (laughs) intentionally. Like I said, the words just fall out sometimes. There's grace for that. We won't expect things to go back to normal. You get to choose your own time frame. And we're not going to panic, are we, if you need to be angry because it's unfair? Because it probably is. There are things that we cannot explain and we won't try to. We're going to let you question where was God and if he had been here, this wouldn't have happened. Mary and Martha got to, didn't they? Jesus was okay with that. We're going to be okay with that. And we're just going to trust, most of all, that the Spirit of God is going to meet you where you're at and guide you through the next step. Okay, He's the source. He gets to do that. We're just going to be around you, being safe people in a safe place while that happens. And for those that you're going to journey with who don't know Jesus yet, all of that applies. <laughs> However, there also may be an openness to spiritual things that wasn't there before. And the Bible says, be prepared to give an answer for the hope that we have. So if those times of uncertainty and change bring about spiritual questions, let's be in prayer and let's realise that actually that could be a beautiful God encounter. Um, Another word for the Holy Spirit is comforter. And how much more do we need the Holy Spirit It's comfort in times of grief, especially if we've never known the possibility of the life and resurrection in the presence of Jesus. So let's sum that up. Grief is okay with Jesus. Let's do it well. Let's do it well because we love people and each other. Let's do it well because God loves people. And let's do it well because we are not without hope. We have the resurrection power of Jesus. You know, while I'm speaking, you've all got your own stories. I don't know half of them, maybe not even a quarter of them. Um, I don't necessarily need to. I value stories incredibly. I love to hear them. I treasure them because it's like a gift that we give to each other when we tell our story to each other. Um, But there are a lot of people here. Um, who would love to hear your story as well. And we're just going to value that if that needs to happen with each other. And if there's prayer that needs to happen, we'll do that as well. If this is just a little bit raw, but it's a precious moment, then you can just sit with that too. doesn't mean that you need to respond today or now. Um, but God might be pushing buttons as well. So we're just going to let him be the Holy Spirit and do the next thing. But um, I'm just going to pray. We're probably going to sing something. Are we? Are we? No, we don't need to. (laughs) I'll just pray. (laughs) Father God, we thank you that you are a king who can sympathise with our weaknesses. You know, Jesus, what it feels like. Um, You have great love. You have grace for us in the midst of our stuff. And we thank you that you're an example for us of what it's like to express and still know the reality of the hope of the resurrection. So we thank you, Jesus, that you are the source of life. You are the source of hope 
and you are the source of love. And we pray, God, that you would continue to shape us into a group of people who love people and who are able to let you be the Holy Spirit. Uh, Just help us to be humble, to let people feel what they're going to feel and to speak the truth of the power of the name of Jesus. Thank you, God.